Welcome to Sports Bites, the podcast that serves up a winning combination of sports and food. Get ready to dive into the latest scores and game analysis, all while savoring discussions about your favorite game day snacks and culinary delights. I'm your host, Chris Joseph, and together we will explore the delicious intersection of athleticism and gastronomy. So let's kick off this flavorful journey of Episode 8. Well, we've got the first really full weekend of all football, NFL and college football, happened this weekend, and man, it, there was some crazy stuff happening. A look at my uh, seven-team pick parlay, if you will. I, I put it out there that I was going to start making picks and publishing them, letting everybody know the kind of picks I was making. Um, looking at the college games first, I, I thought everything was going great. I took Colorado giving three against Nebraska, won that one pretty easily. I like what Colorado did. Shador Sanders is a really, really good quarterback. They win 36-14, to 14, and then it went downhill. I took USC and Stanford plus the over of 69 and a half. The final score is 56 to 10. Lost that. I took the over 69 in Oregon at Texas Tech. 38 to 30. I lost that. Tulane and Ole Miss. And I didn't know Michael Pratt was going to be out. I had heard, but I was like, no, he's going to play in this game. Michael Pratt didn't play. And, and I can't use that because Travis Kelsey didn't play in the game. On Thursday night, when I said Detroit was going to win, and that was the reason they were going to win. So I took Tulane plus a seven and a half over Ole Miss. And, you know, I'll talk about the game, breaking it down more later in this episode. But Ole Miss had their chances. Even with the backup in, they had their chances, but they lost 37 to 20. And it's a lot closer than that score. They had every chance to cover uh, that plus seven and a half. And if Michael Pratt's playing, they probably win the game. Just, I'm going to put that out there. If you're an Ole Miss fan, I apologize. I think they should. So three and four, my first full weekend of picking games. So I hope uh, I hope I get a little bit better this weekend. But both my teams, the Sooners and the Washington Commanders won, so it's not that bad of a weekend. So the second week of football, a little less dramatic, you know, if you ask me. Still some questions to be answered around the country. Will there be some overreactions? Of course. Texas beating Bama. North Carolina barely surviving App State. Clemson was trailing College of Charleston in the second quarter. So, you know, it, it's still early. And I think some of these teams are going to work themselves out. But is it going to be too late for some of them? Here's a breakdown of the top 10 teams and their games from the last weekend and a couple other games that, that I kind of spoke about. I'm going to break down the Oklahoma game a little bit. Some uh, facts about that game, what I saw when I watched it. Tulane Ole Miss game, the only game between top 25 teams. Number one, Georgia. You know, short field and special teams plays have led the way, you know, for this new dog's offense. The jury's still out, I think, on Carson Beck as the offense sputters at times. Georgia was held scoreless in the first quarter against Ball State. Ball State. And it could be playing down to the competition. It might hurt him in the long run. I don't know. Lack of a running game is hurting the offense. Three interceptions and a punt return TV by another walk-on. You talk about Stetson Bennett. Another walk-on in Makai Muse comes in, has a punt return touchdown for 69 yards. The ugly ground attack only averaged 3.8 yards a carry against this MAC opposition. Cause for concern? I, I don't know. We'll see. They host South Carolina next. Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks coming in. Will they be even to scratch competition? We'll see. Number two, Michigan. 35-7 over UNLV. Michigan once again bludgeoning a team led by Blake Corman. It's good to see Blake Corman back and being healthy, being active. Um, 80 yards, three touchdowns. The Wolverines averaged 5.4 yards a carry on the day. J.J. McCarthy, another solid outing, 22-25, 278 yards, two touchdowns. 
No real challenges during this game. Michigan welcomes Bowling Green in on Saturday night to the big house. Another game without their head coach, Jim Harbaugh. Number four, Florida State did not want to have a letdown against Southern Miss. And you know what they did in 66-13. After their big win, they steamrolled Southern Miss. It was 52-3 late in the third before Southern Miss put up a TD. That's the most points scored under Norvell. And listening to some of the post-game interviews that they were doing, they felt like they left a lot of points on the field. And they still have not played their best game yet. Now, you're only two games into the season, so I wouldn't think you've played your best game yet. I hope you don't play your best game of the year in the first two games. But the passing game is still not as smooth as Jordan Travis would like. Some drops. Trey Benson had a good night, though. 79 yards, three touchdowns on nine carries. Up next for the uh, Knowles, they travel to Boston College on the road for the ACC home opener. I'm going to talk about that game a little bit more and the special meaning of what's going on at Boston College. Uh, one of the cool traditions that happens with everything from 9-11 on Monday, uh, what Boston College does to honor 9-11, one of their fallen from that horrific incident. But I'll talk about that on the Thursday episode. Number five, Ohio State, 35-7 to over Youngstown State. No real pushback from the Penguins. Kyle McCord got the air game going, especially with Marvin Harrison. Uh, junior, he had seven receptions, 160 yards, and a touchdown. Next for Ohio State, they're going to host the Hilltoppers of Kentucky. Should be another easy day for the Ohio State. Number six, USC, 56-10 to 10 over Stanford. Caleb is Caleb. Zachary Branch has his second kick return for a touchdown in this young season. That speedy freshman playmaker. Jerry Rice's son, Brennan Rice, a former Colorado Buffalo, had a 75-yard touchdown. And this is probably the last time, who knows, that Stanford and USC meet and having played for well over a century of football. I was kind of surprised Stanford's just not a good football team. I thought maybe they'd be able to score some more points than they did. I just, USC is going to score on anybody, um, unless you like can physically punch them, like you saw Utah do a couple times last year, and even Tulane late in that game in the Cotton Bowl. But Caleb Williams is hands down one of the best players in the country, and he continues to prove it. Number seven, Penn State 63, Delaware 7. The Fighting Blue Hens had a little fight in them. Penn State and Jurella do whatever they wanted in this game. Delaware had a total of 140 yards to Penn State's 541. Next up on the road for Penn State, they traveled to the Illini. They lost to Kansas, who was wearing their all-black uniforms with that terrible chicken hawk logo on the side of their helmet that looked like a spy versus spy character, but not a not a good look. I didn't like it. Too many teams trying the black uniforms. Just don't, especially Kansas. You're Kansas football. Stop. Basketball team did it, baby, but it's Kansas football. Uh, no. Sorry. But Penn State will go and take the Illini. Number eight, Washington. Michael Penix Jr. over 400 yards again. They beat Tulsa 43-10. to Three touchdowns through the air. Offense continues to do whatever they want to do. They scored on two reverses. Next up for Washington, they travel to the treble grounds of Spartan Stadium in East Lansing, where they just got rid of Coach Mel Tucker. And I don't think it's going to get any better when you welcome in Michael Penix Jr. I think Penix is going to tear the Spartans up, if you ask me. I don't think this game is even close. Nothing close. I I wouldn't be surprised if you see... Some people start bailing from East Lansing as far as transfer portal. Number nine, Tennessee, struggle bus against Austin Peay. Slow start again. It's killing Heupel. I know he wants to go fast. He wants to be effective. The number one offense in the country last year, it was tied 6-6 to right before halftime when Joe Milton ran in a touchdown. And that's the Austin P. now is your answer to the trivia question. Who was the last team to shut out Tennessee in a quarter since their loss last year to Georgia? Austin P. Tennessee secondary still having some issues. Gave up 260 yards through the air. Big trouble looms if that's not corrected. Next, 
The Vols are going to travel to Gainesville, a place they haven't won since September 21st, 2003. The third Saturday in September rivalry has been pretty much run by Florida since 2003. Can Heupel and Big Orange get it done in the Swamp? I tell you, somebody I'm really impressed with, and I'm not a fan of There's Notre Dame. I've never been a fan of Notre Dame, but Sam Hartman, extremely good quarterback. NC State um, you know, had some talent, but they, they really couldn't do anything against Notre Dame. 45-24, Sam Hartman, I think he's moved himself into Heisman running with another great performance. 286 through the air, four touchdowns, complete command of that Irish offense. The defense gave up the first touchdowns of the year. 29 straight regular season wins over ACC teams for Notre Dame, but yet they don't want to be in a conference. The D gave up, gave up some points, but they picked off Brennan Armstrong three times. Audric Estime, 14 carries, 134 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Next for Notre Dame at home against the Chippewas of Central Michigan, the home of the thundering Dan Marleys. Uh, number 20, Ole Miss. I talked about that game a little bit. 37-20 against Tulane. Michael Pratt did not play. Had a chance to win it, but fell apart in the last few minutes. Kai Horton replaced Brent. He was decent. You know, missed a lot of passes, though. I mean, 15 of 37, one touchdown, one interception, and a loss fumble that led to a scorp and, uh, sco- scoop and score. Sorry, Jackson Dart still has control as QB1 for the Rebels. Quinshawn Judkins, 48 yards and 18 carries, but did tally a touchdown. Tulane led 17-7 until Mississippi, Mississippi made it 17-10 right before the half and tied it in the third, setting up a very interesting fourth quarter. With the score 27-17, Ole Miss lined up for a 56-yard field goal, which was way beyond Caden Davis's career long, but he nailed it. And I'm like, what? You? I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe he's going to do this. And that was after... The Green Wave had driven down into Ole Miss territory, but had to settle for a field goal of their own instead of a touchdown. Ole Miss will get Georgia Tech. Tulane will get Southern Miss and hopefully Michael Pratt back. Um, I really like Tulane. If Michael Pratt's playing, I think it's a different ball game. Uh, kind of unfortunate. My guys welcomed in SMU, number 18, Oklahoma, 28-11 to 11 over SMU. It's not pretty, but it's a win is what you heard Brent Venable say. You covered. You slow down what some people are saying could have been one of the best offenses you could see all this year. SMU showed they've got the talent and the fight to go to the ACC, and Oklahoma showed the defense is better. Now, obviously, what happened in Tuscaloosa, there's a much larger test that looms ahead of you. But for what this team has been for the better part of two decades, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, I think Sooner fans can be happy with the progress in your two of Brent Venables. Five-star freshman Peyton Bowen, we've heard of, you know people talk about they've got to find a way to get him on the field. Has a punt block early that led to the Sooners' first score. Dylan Gabriel threw for four touchdowns. A tip of the hat to Tywee Walker. A walk-on career high, 117 yards on the ground. You know, now the big controversy afterwards, Art Bryles, who's the father-in-law of Jeff Levy being seen on the field wearing OU gear. And I'm, I'll am i say this, I'm not okay with it. For what Art Bryles stood for, for what Art Bryles represents, for what Art Bryles did and what he was a part of at Baylor. And Jeff Levy was at Baylor during that time as well. And there was a lot of people when Jeff Levy was hired at Oklahoma expressed concern about the transgressions of the University of Baylor and the ties between Art Bryles and Jeff Levy. Yes, Art Bryles is Jeff Levy's father-in-law, the grandfather to his children. I know Joe Castiglione. I've had many conversations with Joe Castiglione, the athletic director from the University of Oklahoma. There is no way that Brent Venables and Joe Castiglione hired Jeff Levy without having a discussion about Art Bryles showing up. And it almost seemed like Jeff Levy was hiding the fact that Art Bryles was there. 
And if you're Jeff Levy, you have to be better because Art Browse, obviously, the things that he let go on at that university, he's not going to be mature enough to be like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll meet up with the family after the game. But no, you want to be on the field wearing Oklahoma gear, not a good look. It is not a good look. And then you double down and post your pictures on social media. One, you just called a horrible football game as an offensive coordinator. And this is what you do. I'm sure there was a conversation with Joe C. and BV. And it probably didn't go. Probably wasn't a lot of talk from Jeff Levy. Let's just say that. But I hope they can move on. I hope Jeff Levy uh, can call the kind of offense that Oklahoma fans you know, hope to see. But we'll see moving forward. Just not a good look. I hope Art Browse doesn't show up anymore. The big college game, though, took place in Tuscaloosa. Man, there's a lot to unpack from this one. Texas came to Titletown and punched Alabama straight in the mouth. The wideouts proved to be a hard cover for the Tide. Uh, their secondary is Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, the, the uh, UGA transfer, Jalen Milrow, two costly turnovers. And I had mentioned in my breakdown, if Texas could get pressure on him, make him make some tough choices, it could favor the Longhorns. The first, the, the first long one remind, the first long touchdown that Quinn Ewers threw to Xavier Worthy reminded me of one of the touchdown passes that Josh Heupel threw in the 2000 game against Nebraska. Just putting air under, letting Worthy run under it. Quinn Ewers looked good. I think it was seven of eight on throws over 15 yards. Horns pulled away, scoring 21 in the final quarter. Bama. Now, and here's the thing: Bama's not dead in the water. And I've heard a lot of people out here because I live in Birmingham. The sky is falling. You don't want to see your team. They're used to winning. Bama's not dead. Yes, that sucks you get beat like that on national TV primetime. But you know what? You are still in the SEC. You are still in the SEC West. If you win the SEC West, find your way back into the SEC championship game, you're right in the mix of the playoff talk again. So it's a learning experience. What what can you do? You move forward. Malachi Moore, you know, I didn't know if he was going to play. Had a big hit early, forced a fumble. Uh, Texas. Five sacks on the night, 19 pressures. Could have been, you know, a lot worse without Jalen Milrow's athleticism. We'll see, is it too much? Is Texas back? You remember a couple of years ago when they beat what everyone said was a really good Notre Dame, Notre Dame team? And they started to lay some eggs. They got Wyoming. Wyoming's feeling pretty good about themselves. Bama has a rare out-of-conference true road game as they head to Tampa to play South Florida. But there's some, there's some, there's some questions that need answered. The secondary... Could not keep up with A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy. So if you've got some speed and you could protect, there you go. And the offensive line, that's probably one of the worst performances I've seen from an Alabama offensive line since Nick Saban's been there. They got some questions that need to be answered there in Tuscaloosa. Poll shakeup, though. Georgia State number one, Michigan two. Florida State moved up to number three. Texas all the way up to four. USC at 5, Ohio State 6, Penn State 7, Washington 8, Notre Dame 9, Alabama 10. Colorado moved up to 18. New teams in the top 25, Miami at 22, Washington State at 23, UCLA at 24, Iowa at 25. And I just say, is Miami and Florida State going to be a relevant football game this year? I, You know, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I hope that's the case because it's been a long time since that game has meant something. So. We'll get more into the breakdown on Thursday as far as the games ahead. NFL Week 1, crazy, of course, started Thursday night with Detroit beating Kansas City in front of their home fans celebrating the Super Bowl victory from last year. Detroit won 21-20. Now, KC didn't have Kelsey or Chris Jones, but had every opportunity to win the game. And in the past, these were the games that the Lions would lose. But Jared Goff stayed poised, 
The defense provided a pick six from the Alabama rookie Brian Branch. And the big issue all night was drop passes for the Chiefs, especially by Kadarius Toney. Three crucial drops that hit him right in the hands. Ugh. I like the makeup of the Lions. I like what they have going for him. KC will still be in the hunt at the end of the year. You know, I have to get more from the ground game. Mahomes led the team in rushing that night with 45 yards. Heading to Sunday's games, Falcons beat the Panthers 24-10. Bijan Robinson showed why he could be the offensive rookie of the year with his first NFL touchdown on a slick 11-yard pass from Desmond Ritter, where he did most of the work. Robinson ended the day with 56 yards rushing. On the other side, Bryce Young was day one starter. He was 20 of 38, 146 yards, got his first NFL touchdown, two interceptions, some growing pains, but he'll get better. You know, Ritter wasn't asked to do that much because uh, I think, you know, Atlanta really controlled the game, only threw the ball 18 times, completing 15 of them, and, you know, looked under control of that offense. Bijan's going to be fun to watch. He, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. A, a big shock for me, Cleveland, the Browns, beat down Joe Cool, Joey Ice, Burroughs, a highest-paid player in the NFL history. 24-3, to the Browns went out there, and I don't even think it was that close. You sign that kind of a contract, then you go out there and you throw for 82 yards on 14 to 31. That's not going to sit well. And I'm not a salary hater. Hey, man, get your money. But you sign that kind of deal, then you go out and throw for 82 yards against the Browns. Nick Chubb, workhorse for Cleveland, 106 yards on the day. Miles Garrett toying with the Bengals O-line. Zach Taylor now, the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. Norman, Oklahoma native. 0-5 against the Browns as a head coach. Jacksonville, the Colts played a much better game than I expected. And I'll say this. I also, I have NFL Sunday tickets. It's the first time that I've went out and I've spent the money for NFL Sunday ticket. And I saw that there were a lot of people having issues with NFL Sunday ticket on YouTube. I did not have a problem with the NFL Sunday ticket. I loved the four, the quad screen. I had red zone going. I had games going, hopping. I loved it. This was the first time I've ever put the money into it. And I'm glad I did. My wife and I, we sat and watched games on Sunday after we got back from doing our grocery run. It was amazing. I enjoyed it. And I I kept flipping back to this Jaguars and Colts game because it was better than what I thought it was going to be. The Jaguars won 31-21. You know, Tank Bigsby, Auburn running back from here, you know, he he caught what he thought was an incomplete pass. It was punched out, punched out by Zaire Franklin. Then DeForest Buckner recovered it, scored, and it gave the Colts the lead 21-17. And, you know, I was like, wow. The Colts are in the lead with Anthony Richardson, who didn't play bad. 24-37, one TD, one pick. They also had 10 carries and 40 yards. Led the team in rushing, you know, and a team that still has running back depth issues. Trevor Lawrence was steady. It was good to see Calvin Ridley back on the field. And he led the Jags with eight catches, 101 yards. Tank Bigsby, after that strange play, scored the touchdown that gave the Jags the lead and led them to victory. I like what I saw from the Jags, but I like what I saw from the Colts in their fight. They secure some things. It could be a fun year. The AFC South is going to be fun. My boy Baker, I, I, I mean, you know, I got to love Baker. Baker and Tampa Bay beat Minnesota 20-17. to 17. Baker got the show off. You know, he, st- he started off a little bit slow, but finished with 173 yards, two touchdowns, some clutch gutty runs, you know, a little Baker Mayfield trash talk. Telling the kid you got to get your weight up, you're going to come with me. It, it's stuff that if you were a Sooner fan, you saw. Justin Jefferson is still amazing. Nine catches, 150 yards, but no touchdowns on the day. Tampa Bay still needs to get the ground going to get uh, help 
for Mayfield with this offense. Baker found Mike Evans for a touchdown in the game. Everyone talking about could be the last season for Mike Evans, but a good road victory to start the season, 20-17 for Baker and the Buccaneers. Derek Carter led the Saints past the Titans 16-15 in New Orleans. He was 23-33, 305 yards through the air with one touchdown, an interception. His counterpart, Tannehill, 16-13, 198 yards, three interceptions. There's a change coming soon there. And you got Will Levis, you got Malik Willis. I know Saints stopped Tennessee on 10-12 of 12 third downs. New Orleans also blocked a punt to set up a score by Zach Bond. With no Alvin Kamara for the first three games, the Saints struggled as a team, only getting 69 yards on the ground. King Henry didn't do much better. 63 yards on 15 carries. And I tell you what, I like the Saints. Chris Olave, I think that's a good-looking wide receiver. It'll be interesting to see what the Saints do moving forward. San Fran looked like a team that, you know, if you had to play, say, who's going to be in the NFC Championship game right now, put the Cowboys and the 49ers in there. Let's go. Rekindle that match. Let's see it. San Francisco blows out Pittsburgh 30-7. to Brock Purdy, fully rehabilitated, comes back, throws two touchdowns. McCaffrey had a field day. The defense, you know, couldn't do anything with him. Brandon Ike made plays all day, two touchdowns, had a great downfield block on a McCaffrey touchdown run with him and Ray-Ray McLeod. Pickett threw the ball 46 times, two interceptions, and some people are thinking he may have had a, a concussion with one of the plays late in the game, but... Um, man, it just didn't really get going with, with George Pickens. Pittsburgh only had 239 yards as a team. That's not a good look. Largest line of the day, Ravens favored by 10 points over the Texans, and they covered that by winning 25-9, to but they did lose J.K. Dobbins, uh, another Achilles injury. And, he, man, J.K.'s just been – he's been snake bit, so many injuries, and, and you know, I, I wish him a speedy recovery. C.J. Stroud's first start caught his own first pass. You know, that's kind of uh, not a good way to start your career. You know, that, that who caught C.J. Stroud's first pass in the NFL? C.J. Stroud. I felt the Texans D played well, limiting a high-powered offense to only 265 yards. You know, Mark Andrews was out, and they lost Dobbins in the third. You know, Will Anderson, I thought, played uh, very well for D'Amico Ryans in that new Texans defense, six, ta- six tackles and a sack. Uh, and I think, you know, you got to watch out for him as a potential defensive rookie of the year. My boys, the commanders, I watched a lot of it. There was a lot of hype going into it. The crowd, it, it, it was, I'm going to say this, it was good to hear a Washington game crowd be like that again. And it was set up. You're playing a team everybody thought was tanking. You bring in Josh Dobbs, who just got there. But you came and you found out that the Cardinals were not just coming to roll over. The first half, the commanders outplayed the Cardinals, but three turnovers in the first half kept the Cardinals in the game. Actually gave them the lead. You know, they got a sack, fumble, and scored by Cameron Thomas. Avon Collins, the former Tulsa linebacker, had an interception and a forced fumble. Brian Robinson... I love this guy. Going to be a workhorse. Caught the first touchdown pass for Sam Howell this year. Kind of sloppy uh, debut for the BNME offense. I think it'll clean up. But I'll tell you, I was impressed with the Cardinals fight. And I wonder how long that'll last. You know, Josh Dobbs looked like, you know, a game manager that he is really just coming over from the Browns and only really knowing James Conner from their time in Pittsburgh. But it was just good to hear the crowd in, D- in I say, D.C. You know, I heard the old Hail to the Redskins fight song being sung there during touchdowns. And it brought a little warm fuzzy to my heart. Commanders are at the Broncos next. It'll be fun to watch. The Jordan Love era began with a sound victory over their division rivals. The Chicago Bears are, are just the same. It's 38-20. Love threw for 245 yards, three touchdowns on the day. Justin Fields is what we've come to expect from him. I mean, there's no improvement. I I, I just don't I don't think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Now, you know, he made some plays with his legs, but not enough to get the Bears victory. He's, you know, this team, the Bears can't get out of their way lately. And I don't know if they're ever going to get that momentum back. 
38-20, they lose to the Green Bay Packers. Raiders beat the Broncos 17-16. Josh Jacobs is now 8-0 and he plays uh, for the Raiders against the Broncos. Jimmy G making his debut in the silver and black. Good accuracy. Found the end zone twice with Jacoby Myers. Samaj P. Ryan was the total yard offensive leader for the Broncos. <coughs> I mentioned in my preview that this is going to be a good third. You know, he's a three down back. And, and you saw it, 78 total yards, 41 rushing, 37 receiving. Is Russ done? I mean, is this a reclamation? For, I, I I don't know. How long of a leash is Sean Payton going to give him? I mean, I love seeing Samaj J.P. Ryan do his thing. Marvin Mims got to, you know, contribute a little bit more. Uh, but a tough outing for the Broncos and Bronco fans out there. The Dolphins beat the Chargers and two out there dropping dimes. Throwing absolute pills to Tyreek Hill, who is dicing up the secondary 11, catches 216 yards, two touchdowns. Both teams put up a lot of points, but we knew that would happen. Biggest thing for two is that he was not sacked in the game. Keeping him healthy is going to be key for this team this year as they look to take that AFC East crowd. Um, I saw a couple of the plays, you know, flipping back and forth, everything. But man, I tell you what, the, the, the passes I saw and, and the pocket, you know, he, he didn't seem like he had that much pressure on him. Zero sacks. You got to keep him. He can't take any hits to the head this year. Rams beat the Seahawks 30-13. to Stafford behind a rebuilt, unproven line. Threw for 334 yards. While Geno Smith, who was the darling of the start of last year, struggled to get going. Aaron Donald got a lot of pressure on Smith. Rookie Puka Nakua became the safety blanket for Stafford with Cooper Cup being out. But a 30-13 to victory for the Rams. Sunday night leads into Dallas just absolutely blasting the Giants. And it was 40 to nothing. I don't even know it was that close. This The Dallas defense, I can't wait to see Dallas and San Francisco play. Or Dallas and the Jets. That the, Those two defenses are, are, are really good. And yes, the Dallas defense is that good. But I think some of it has to do with the Giants offense being that bad. Daniel Jones looked like the backup from Necessary Roughness running around all night. Blow the whistle. Blow the whistle. Seven sacks. Three turnovers. Dallas scored on a blocked field goal, a pick six. The Giants only scored 171 yards total. That's abysmal. Abysmal. They got to do something. You're in the bottom of the NFC East right now, and I hope uh, you stay down there. <laughs> Monday night, it started out with all the celebration for 9-11. Aaron Rodgers comes running out, the American flag, everything set to lead the Jets to the promised land. Four snaps into the opening drive, the dream was dashed. Rodgers suffers a lower leg injury that looked like an Achilles rupture that has been confirmed today as a rupture. Is this the end for Aaron Rodgers with his age? What it took for him to get to the Jets? Is this the end for him? It could be. It could be. But Zach Wilson comes in, helps propel the team to victory with a solid, you know, solid defense as well. The Bills four, excuse me, four turnovers in the game, three interceptions for Josh Allen, all of them by Jordan Whitehead. And I want to say, how cool is it? That when you think about the New York Jets, how they were on hard knocks, right? And one of the cool moments when they show people make it, Xavier Gibson, Stephen F. Austin, to see the scene where they say you made the team. And you hear them tell them, we know you're going to do good things for this team. Your work ethic, the way you approach the game. He goes out there, walk-off punt return. Now, and I'm going to say this. I know there's some officials out there that are, oh, there was a leg whip. I don't know if it was. I don't know if you're just looking for stuff. The way I, I wouldn't have called it, you know, and now I never got to the NFL ranks to call games. So uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but as an official, I, I just, I don't, I, I wouldn't have called it. I wouldn't have called it. I tell you what we did, you know, Sunday, I, it was comfort food Sunday. 
meatloaf and mashed potatoes. My wife made an amazing meatloaf. I don't know about you, but I think my thing I want to ask, do you make another meal with it or do you make a meatloaf sandwich? Because I am the of the belief a meatloaf sandwich with a little mayo and a piece of sharp cheddar. It's just about perfection. Good stuff. Thank you for tuning in to another delicious episode of Sports Bites, where we dished out a perfect blend of sports and food for your ears. And I hope you savored the flavor of our discussions and found them as satisfying as your team winning on the field. If you're hungry for more, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with us on all social media for the latest updates, mouthwatering recipes, and sports insights that hit the spot. Until next time, remember to keep your appetite for sports and food alive and may your game day snacks always be on point. Good day, everyone. And remember to always positively move forward.